They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag out there in a moment because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers. There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Desk. This is your Wednesday team back again. April, Kendra, how are we this week? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, We've obviously got more COVID restrictions in place. So just sticking at home, not doing a whole lot, really. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, more lockdown rules, but we have a lot more sports. So that's exciting. So yeah, it does. There's positives coming with the negatives. How about yourself, Tom? Yeah, pretty good. A lot of sport coming back this week, which is really nice. And I guess we're going to get into it a lot. We've got the Super Netball. There's some cricket news. The F1's still going on. More tennis news, as always. The NBA's come back. And as always, we have our weird sport of the week to talk about. But to jump right into it, we have the AFL Round 9, the start of the footy festival, as they're talking it, talking about it, has started and officially kicked off. Have you guys been watching the festival of footy this week so far? I must say, I actually haven't watched a lot of it. I don't know if it's um, the abundance of footy that's on that, like, knowing that I can almost watch it wherever, whenever I want that's actually made me not watch it. Because I'm like, oh, well, there's another game on tomorrow night. I don't need to watch tonight's game. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm the same. Like, I've been watching it, but I feel like I haven't been watching it as much because I think, oh, like, if I miss a game tonight, I can watch it the next day. But, yeah, and then I'm just sort of being more selective which matches I watch. So, I don't know. I think I'm actually watching less, to be honest, as well. What about you? Yeah, I've, I try to watch most nights. But then again, if it's not a very appealing matchup, I'm more inclined to not watch it because there is a game straight after the next day, which is very convenient. So, I think that's been good. And especially if you do miss it, you're just like, oh, I'll just watch tomorrow. We had a lot of the games um, over the last round that were pretty one-sided as well, which I think, um, you know, if you miss the start of the game or even if you watch the start of the game, you're sort of like, oh, well, we can tell who's going to win. There's not much point carrying on. Because um, I think just looking over the scores, really, there's not, not a single close game from round nine. There was one game which was West Coast Geelong, which was nine points, and that was the lowest lost margin so it was a, a fair few blowouts for the the round it, it, the Frio Collingwood game was a close game um, it's only 12 points because of David Mundy's kick after the siren to bring it out to 12 points but again those are the only two that are vaguely entertaining close games so after the first round of the footy festival we've still got Port Adelaide on top of the ladder they've they came back and had another win after their loss to St Kilda the week before um, probably one of the more notable ones is Collingwood has dropped out of the eight. They're now down in 10th position. Um, so we're seeing, we are seeing a few, few shakeups of the ladder. Yeah. Every week you're going to get some new teams going in and out of that, that middle section of the ladder from probably from sixth to 12th or 13th. You're going to get so many changes each week, especially with all the, so many games happening over the next couple of weeks as well. And as a Carlton fan, it's very nice seeing Collingwood and Essendon both out of their eight too. So that's enjoyable. I'm excited that um, Essendon is out of the top eight, but I'm quite surprised at how low Western Bulldogs has dropped in the um, earlier rounds just a few weeks ago. They were actually looking in really good form and now they've dropped to eight. So they're only on the cusp now. So yeah, I was actually just really surprised at them, to, to be honest, with the ladder. 
So we are, of course, recording this episode of the Sports Desk from home. So we're recording this on Tuesday, even though you're listening to it on a Wednesday. So we have got the the Richmond-Brisbane game will have taken place last night, um, which is tonight for us. Um, and then we've got games coming up every night of this week. So it will be interesting to see, as we've said, how much more this ladder does change over the next week or two. Yeah, and with teams coming on, some buyers as well gives some gives a couple of players and some of the younger teams a bit of a rest. And, and with the buyers, it's going to change the ladder just completely, completely around. With teams now going to have someone like Collingwood who is going to not have a buy and have all these extra games above other teams. So this is going to be very interesting for the next couple of weeks. So in AFL news over the past week, there's been quite a lot of fines dished out to various AFL clubs for COVID nineteen breaches of. Um, they're very strict protocols and things they've got in place, particularly now that we've had heaps of the families move up. Um, we saw hundreds of family members and staff members from Victoria move up the other week. Um, what do you guys think of the fines that are being dished out? Is the AFL coming down too hard on the people who are breaching the restrictions or do you think this is pretty justified? I think the fines weren't hard enough. They need to be more strict about it 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 should have been uh you break the rules once yeah you know you're going home for the amount of money the afl is spending to send these families up and then not spend this money on their own staff and laying their staff off i think it should have just been a one and done you're going home so i think these uh families of the players are very lucky to still be in these hubs with them yeah i agree like it is um it's always a privilege it's not a right i mean we want to make sure that this season is staying the way it is rather than it being cancelled for someone that you know not even a football player one of the family members if they step out of line they could jeopardize the whole season so i reckon yeah the fines are well and truly justified yeah i agree um there's so much at risk for if someone does breach a restriction and actually does get sick and bring the virus into the hubs um it would just it would shut down the whole season and they've worked so hard to get everything up and running and even for us down in victoria where we don't have any sport right here on our doorstep it's nice to be able to watch it on tv um, and we don't want to see that being taken away and you know these people going out and just doing really dumb acts as well like you saw like the Brooke Cotchin going to a beauty salon and then one of the Carlton players, his son was being taken by his grandparents to SeaWorld. It's just, it's really dumb. And uh, there's an obvious brain fade from these people that have gone and done this and broken the protocol. And I think it, I don't know, it just, it shows that they don't really care as much about the game as what we were hoping for, I guess. Sin, we're young people run the show. Uh, to end the AFL talk on a good note, we do, um, if you're a North Melbourne fan and just a footy fan in general, Mad Jack Daw made his return to AFL over the week after 700 days out after his unfortunate incident as well. He, he took 700 days to come back. He had to learn how to walk again. He's finally playing again. And fortunately for North Melbourne and for himself, they had a win for him. And uh, It's just something, something great to see for the competition and for players and for everyone else watching. Yeah, it's an it's an amazing comeback story um, and really just such good news. So a, a pretty inspiring story, I think, that we'll we'll talk about and look back on for years to come. Um, I hope this isn't something that, you know, we just talk about right now and sort of it just fades away. I think this will be something that sticks around and people always look to this as a, a really inspirational story of how you can come back almost from anywhere um, to be back having success. 
yeah, I remember when he did have his like accident and um, yeah, I was really like upset and I was hurt. I was looking forward to him to making the return and it has taken a lot longer than what probably a lot of people thought, but it is really good that he did get back there. I think a lot of people can look up to him and take inspiration from the fact that he did return and actually played a really good game. And it could be good for North Melbourne to give him a bit of extra oomph in their season and try and get them back on track to win a couple of games, having someone like Magic Door go through all of this and finally get back onto the track. Hopefully he can lift all the players around him and, you know, help their season a bit more too. Yeah, well, North are one of those teams sort of on the brink of the eight, even though they're down in 14th, a um, couple of wins and they could be up right up in contention. So hopefully we'll see that, see that start to happen. On FM, on DAB Plus and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin, where young people run the show. So on to the Super Netball now, which kicked off round one of their season in Queensland over the weekend. Uh, we had two matches on Saturday and two matches on Sunday. Uh, the Saturday matches, the Firebirds took on the Lightning and the Lightning got up 66 to 48. The West Coast Fever beat the Adelaide Thunderbirds 74 to 62. On Sunday, there was a close game between the New South Wales teams with the New South Wales Swifts gain up over the Giants 63-61. to And the two Vic teams, uh, the Melbourne Vixens, beat the Collingwood Magpies 63-52 to on Sunday. Um, it is <laughs> in, in any, any league. Um, but one of the things I wanted to bring up with you guys is there is has been a rule change to the Super Netball this year. Um, they've brought in a new scoring rule. So in the last five minutes of each quarter of the netball, if a shooter um, takes a shot for goal from the outside sort of edge of the scoring semicircle, they get two points instead of one for a goal. So this sort of would allow a team to make a bit more of a comeback at the end of a quarter or things like that. Um, the rule change so far hasn't been really met with much um, support by players. And there was even a player during the Victorian um, derby who said in her halftime interview how much she didn't like the rule change. And she was, um, I think, one of the um, attacking players for one of the teams. But... What do you guys think of this change? I guess it's, it's a bit more basketball-like. As an outside perspective, it definitely seems like it can bring a bit more entertainment to the game. In, you know, in the last five minutes, it could you know, bring about a really, you know, you're down by a fair bit and normally you wouldn't be able to come back, but you hit a couple of those big two-point shots and then suddenly you're back in the game and you're in a chance to win it. Uh, just reading through this article and all the reactions, it just seems like everyone's disappointed that, they weren't given enough time, enough notice for it. Uh, I've been reading that it's they were only given six weeks notice before the season starts that this was going to be a rule change. And it definitely seems like a significant change to the scoring and the way the game could be played. So it definitely seems like that there should have been more communication about it and it should have been announced earlier or announced it this year for next season, maybe instead. Yeah, I, I guess you've got to listen to what the players like because they are the ones playing it. But they are trying to make the game like more exciting. And I think that could be good if they're trying to build their fan base in a way. I do know that a lot of fans don't like the rule, but 
I think if they're making the game a little more fast-paced, it does become more exciting. I think a lot more people would take an interest in the sport. I know if I was watching it personally, I would really like a sort of like a close call game rather than, you know, like a stable game. So, yeah, that's just my opinion. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think I quite like the sound of the rule change, but I guess I am someone coming at it from not really inside the the netball circle. Um, but I think it can, it has a good potential for tactics and things like that, because I know even already over the first round, I think players, uh, teams had a player who was sort of their des- designated long shooter and they would sub them on for the last five minutes because they sort of specialise in these um, longer distance shots. And I think having the opportunity to have a player who specialises in a skill like that could really add something to the game. And even the uh, Swiss head coach, Brioni Akel, came out and was like, it, you know, every, every team is in the same boat. It's just going to be the team that reacts the quickest to this new rule, which is going to, you know, benefit from it for, for, uh, for the most. So this weekend, we've got round two of the Super Netball coming up. Uh, we've got the Giants taking on the Thunderbirds. The Firebirds will take on the Melbourne Vixens. Collingwood will go up against the Sunshine Coast Lightning and the New South Wales Swifts will take on the West Coast Fever. Now to some cricket news. Cricket Players Union FICA survey shows that 76% of players are against a four-day instead of a five-day test. What do we think about this, guys? It was a very interesting survey that I just found out about. So the FICA, this is their second annual men's report. They are contacted 277 professional men's cricketers on a number of the most relevant issues in the game at the moment. And there's a key, a, a key point in this is there are no India or Pakistan players that were surveyed, which I don't know if you're a cricket fan, you, you're probably like, okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense that they're not doing it. So, but the, I guess the big thing to come out of it is there has been a lot of discussion over the four day test recently. And it seems like a lot of them, uh, are against the four-day test. Uh, I know, April, you are an advocate for the four-day test. Uh, do you want to explain why? I sure am. I love the idea of a four-day test. Um, probably coming partially... Like, I don't mind cricket, but obviously a lot of people find cricket boring. And I think five days is just too long for a cricket match. And also, like, of the majority of tests recently I think like a lot don't end up going to the full five days and I think if you shorten it to four days it's more likely to be exciting um it's gonna people are gonna push harder for a result and overall I just think it's gonna be something that's better to watch and more entertaining for people and I think test cricket especially needs to be doing things to draw more people in and I don't think five-day tests are doing that it is a long uh, tests are long in the first place, even four days. They, it's still pretty long. I guess the fifth day is there to offset the the one team bowling, one team batting twice each. So there's an extra day to to offset all of that. And you know, the five, I guess the five days, like four days, wouldn't work if you're in somewhere like England because it does rain almost every test. So if you lose a day, you're down to three, and you're almost guaranteed to not get a result at all. So I guess. It's kind of hard in that sort of aspect too. Yeah. So I'm saying this from an outside perspective, but I reckon shorten it to four days as well because I, I, I love the big bash. I love that it's just over and done within a day. You go in, get out, and it's like done. It's exciting. But when it's four days, like I just find it so boring. So that's why I've never really taken an interest in test cricket, whereas like big bash I absolutely love. So 
yeah, I'm going to say four days. But then again, I can see that others want to keep the traditional five days and they are following the test. So you can see it from both angles. And there was two, sorry, there were two key statistics that I found really interesting. So one isn't interesting, but it relates to the second one. So 82% of players think test cricket is the game's most important format. So that feels like a lot of them care about the 2020 and the one day and that sort of stuff, but you know, consider test cricket as the peak of everything. And then 82% of the players support the concept of promotion and relegation in a test championship. I found that very interesting. It's something that I haven't seen discussed anywhere. And what, what do you guys think about having like a sort of like a AFL or like the, the Premier League where you have promotion and relegation in a season and you have like a table of players, of teams, someone's first, second, third, and it actually matters where you finish on the table? I think for that idea to work, I don't know, I don't really follow test cricket at all. And I think possibly um, regarding that first stat you said about thinking that test cricket is the game's most important format, I do think test cricket is more like traditional, um, is more about cricketing skill and like really understanding the game, which for someone like me um, is not what I do and not what I'm particularly interested in. Um, So I see why the players would still consider it the most important. Um, For a test championship and promotion and relegation, I think this largely depends on the amount of teams that are involved for, because for something like that to sort of be successful, I think it needs to be really competitive um, and you want to have a lot of teams pushing to come up and a lot of teams pushing to hold their position. Yeah. And it, it's just going to, de- yeah, it's going to depend on all the countries as well. Cause you obviously have, I guess the big four in Australia, India, England, and South Africa, they're usually the most dominant countries in, in all of cricket. So if you can have some more teams that are coming up and pushing for that dominant spot, it could work, but at the moment it's probably just going to be again, like the premier league, you have the big four, big six that are always there at the top and it's not changing as much. To go back to the Indian and Pakistan players not being included in the survey, I do think it does skew the results a bit um, because obviously you don't know exactly what they're going to say, but the IPL is massive um, and 2020 cricket for India is um, a huge thing. So it'd be interesting to see how their opinions might have changed these results. And just on the IPL as well, there's a massive statistic here that 81% of these players surveyed would like the Indian players to play in other T20 leagues. So that just shows that they're like everyone outside of India wants these Indian players to come out and play in their league and showcase to all these other countries. I know in the, the Big Bash, it just make it so much more interesting to have these first class players, these Indian players come down and play in Australia. And I know there's just insane support every time India come out to Australia. So I can't imagine how massive it would be for these players to come down and play in the Big Bash. Yeah, I think that'd be a great idea if India could come down. I mean, I know if they were playing the Big Bash, I would, yeah, that would make it even better. So yeah, 100% agree. Imagine Kohli coming out and playing for like Melbourne or Perth or somebody. It would be huge. It'd be sold out. It'd be massive. Yeah, That'd actually be so good though, if India came. I would love that. Awesome. Yeah. Turn up your radio. This is Sin. To some F1, and we had the British Grand Prix at Silverstone on Sunday. Lewis Hamilton took it out, which was his seventh British Grand Prix title. Tom, do you want to tell us some more of the results? Yes, no surprise there. Hamilton coming out victorious, and not as as victorious as we were, I guess, expecting. Um, I'll get to that in a second, but it is. 
his seventh win, which is the most of any driver to win a home Grand Prix. So he has broken that record again. And during qualifying, he got a ninth pole on at Silverstone, which also broke the record for the most. So he is just breaking records left, right and center. And he's just showing his dominance. And a lot of people think it is the car that is making him, you know, so dominant as well. But as we saw on the last lap, Hamilton's left front tire burst and he had to complete the whole last lap with three tires. And he managed to get the car around the circuit without the tire falling off and ruin his drive. So that was uh, very exceptional. And for someone that doesn't quite like Hamilton as much, it's hard to, to not say that he was an exceptional driver that day. And, you know, he was just awesome. But getting into more of the results, Hamilton finished first, uh, Verstappen finished second, and Leclerc finishing third, taking that Ferrari up to another podium, which is a very big surprise because Ferrari has been pretty atrocious this year. And for all you Aussies out there, uh, which is probably everybody listening, uh, Ricardo did finish fourth. He managed to take his car up and finish fourth. So there were a couple of crashes on the first couple of laps, which actually let Ricardo manage his tires a bit more, which meant he could um, only do one stop and it meant he could go further into the race and actually managed to finish fourth, which is a surprise for the Renault. Did any of you guys watch that at all? I didn't watch any of it, but it's massive news for Ricardo. We've, of course, talked on a few of the shows about um, how he's been doing fairly poorly so far since the F1 season restarted. Um, I imagine he'll also be, well, him and the Renault team will be pleased that the Racing Point team did not do very well this time. Yeah, it's really good result from Ricardo, but... Let's hope that one day, just one day, he'll beat Hamilton. Just one day. Ah, I don't think it's going to happen. It's not going to happen in the Renault car, but it'll it'll happen when he's at McLaren next year, surely. It has to happen. It has, it has to, happen. to happen. Yeah. yeah. Or and anyone beat Hamilton. Exactly. But it was good if you're not a Mercedes fan because Bottas, with two laps to go, also had his front left tyre burst, but he unfortunately couldn't uh, save his spot and had to pit and he ended up finishing pretty far down the order in 11th. So out of the points as well, which is very disappointing for the driver's standing because now he is... So Hamilton's on 88 points and Bottas is on 58. So he's got a bit of a climb to come back and try and stop Hamilton winning a, another title. Uh, but again, lucky for everybody, we do have Silverstone next weekend as well. So... Make sure everyone's keeping up to date with that and we'll discuss that race next week as well. And it is the 70th anniversary of their first ever Grand Prix there, which will be an exciting event. Now to tennis. It is confirmed that Nick Kyrgios and Ash Barty are out of the US Open. However, Millman is still keen for it to go ahead. What are our thoughts on this? I think it's a pretty responsible decision from Ash Barty and Kyrgios. I'm not surprised that they made it. Um, I think particularly for Kyrgios, he's been very outspoken, saying that he doesn't think the US Open should go ahead at all. Um, so I think it makes sense to follow on that, it, whether it goes ahead or not, that he will pull out and not be a part of it. Um, and I think it's fair enough for any player to put their safety first. And probably Ash Barty and Kyrgios are two players that are fairly... Um, well off in terms of rankings and things like that, that they can afford to miss this tournament um, without it drastically affecting their 
rest of their season or even rest of their career. Yeah, I guess it's not a surprise having these players pull out. Uh, I guess for, for curiosity, it is not a surprise. And it's big news for Barty pulling out. He's, you know, one of the a former world number one and former champion pulling out of a major tournament isn't a good look either for the US Open. So hopefully at the moment they're saying they're still going to go ahead. Uh, and I guess if you have someone like Djokovic, Nadal and Williams saying they're all going to be there, it's kind of hard to to put it off. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what they do for the next couple of weeks if they are going to cancel anything. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. I think, um, yeah, it's good that someone like Ash Barty, who is up in the rankings, is has decided to that she won't travel. I think it will help a lot of other people following the league if they are feeling that they don't feel safe traveling to America during the US Open. But yeah, if we do have the big four, I think that will force a lot of other people to maybe go ahead and compete, even if they don't feel safe about it. And especially when you have someone like Federer as well, who's pulled out of all tournaments this year, should be a sign that it might not be the best thing to to go ahead with anything at the moment, especially in the US. Ash Barty is also still tossing up whether she is going to head to the French Open, which comes up after the US Open. Um, this She will be going to defend her title if she does take part. So I imagine that one would be possibly a tougher decision for her to make um, if things are still not looking very safe uh, by the time that comes around. It is lucky that the French Open is a bit, bit later and they're not as... Um, you know, the US does have significantly more cases than most other countries in the world, all, all countries in the world. So, you know, it should be, a, a, it's definitely going to be a different decision for the French Open. But if there is still that that risk there, I don't think we're going to see Barty at the French Open. Yeah, I think hopefully all the Aussies can just focus on the Australian Open by next year. Hopefully all of this would have settled down and they can just really work towards focusing on that as their main goal when everything is so uncertain. Yeah, if no one rocks up for the Oz Open, maybe Barty and Curios can win it. Oh, perfect. Keep the Queens of Australian Open. Oh, wouldn't it be awesome if they won? But of course, like the one time we get Aussies to win, there's going to be no crowds. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. So quickly moving on to some NBA as well. Before we go into anything else, I just want to do a bit of a, a recap of the NBA coming back. So... I guess for those who don't know, the NBA has officially restarted and it restarted on Friday, the 31st of July with two incredible games between the Jazz, the Pelicans and the Clippers and the Lakers. So the, for those that don't know, the NBA have a hub over in Orlando at the moment, but not every team is participating. Our only teams that are still able to make the playoffs are there. So all the, all the, all the other teams that aren't able to make the playoffs have stayed home and aren't participating in the restart. So it does make it interesting for teams that are a bit lower and vying for a playoff spot, but did have games initially against these lower teams. So it kind of kind of sucks for them that they potentially could have had these easy wins, but now they're only playing teams that are going to either be playing play in the playoffs or vying for it. So that, that kind of sucks as well. Um, but there's only a little bit of news for the NBA at the moment. Uh, because the Grizzlies, Memphis Grizzlies, lost yesterday, the Dallas Mavericks have officially secured their spot in the playoffs. And there is still uh, two more spots in the Eastern Conference up for grabs with the Magic and Brooklyn Nets vying for those last two spots as well. Obviously, the NBA has only um, just restarted, but 
over the past few weeks, I would say they've still been having players and possibly staff um, testing positive to coronavirus. Do you think that's something like, is there a risk that this season isn't going to be able to finish? Oh, there is a risk. So the players that have tested positive haven't rejoined with the teams. So there, there are players that did test positive and then have announced they're not going to rejoin and going to stay away for the whole season. So before the season did start, they officially had zero cases with everyone staying in the hub, which is a good sign. But then you had some players go out and break the rules and leave the like the boundary line that they had set up, the players that can't leave the hub. They said these, some of these players went off and went to places and got like food and chicken wings and stuff. And somewhere like Florida isn't the safest place to be at the moment. So it was kind of dumb from them to go out and potentially or most likely expose themselves to the virus and potentially ruin the season for the NBA. So at the moment, it's going well. There's no cases currently in the hub, but it could easily change if someone goes out, breaks the rules. And then because they're all in such proximity to each other, it could just ruin the rest of the season. All right, so on to the A-League now. And the Central Coast Mariners have played their last game of the season against Melbourne Victory yesterday. They won the match 3-2, but this could be the last game we see with them as the Central Coast Mariners. Tom, do you want to tell us a bit more about this? Yes, so news has just come out today that the club owner, Mike Charlesworth, has declared he is going to put the team up for sale. Now, this has come after the Mariners have finished bottom of the table in the last uh, four times for the last six seasons, which does indeed actually break the FFA contract rules. Uh, So the Mariners haven't actually uh, fulfilled their duties of a club and a team um, because they finished off bottom of the ladder four times in the last six seasons. That contract is broken. And the FFA now have the opportunity to take the club back into ownership away from the current owners, if that makes sense. So the owner has, is currently, has been currently being given the option to sell the club if he would like. And it definitely seems like he is willing to sell the club uh, over that. And I guess, you know, from an outside perspective for you guys, it, you know, if you had a, a, a local team in Central Coast, uh, it doesn't, you know, it wouldn't look good. And especially as a fan, you would be really disappointed and worried that uh, your team is about to leave potentially. Yeah, definitely. It would be really disappointing. Um, one of the things that I wonder with this, if it changes ownership, um, what difference does that actually make to the club? Like, is that going to, is that going to make any difference to their results? Um how is this actually going to sort of improve the team and get them off the bottom of the ladder? Um, so currently the current owner, Charlesworth, he's been criticised for not investing enough into the club. So he's not investing enough money into the youth and into the coaches, players, that sort of stuff. So they're not getting the team that they would normally get if they were someone like Sydney or Victory who had a bigger budget and more money to spend on, you know, a bigger name as well so you get more sponsorships and that sort of stuff. So it just... So if they do get a new owner, if that owner has more money, they could potentially pay players more. They could get more, more, more sponsorships, invest more into their youth, their youth academy, uh, potentially get a better stadium for fans as well. It's all that sort of stuff. So the the current off the current bid, I think that is wanted for the Mariners is is it four million dollars or four million pounds because it's an American, it's an English car company that currently owns the Mariners. So. 
I guess a lot of fans are hoping that someone does come in and invest more into the club so they can invest more in players and sponsorships and just help the club get a better reputation and help, you know, get, gain more money and traction so they can get off the bottom of the ladder. It would be fascinating to meet people who are like going around looking for sports clubs to buy. It just seems like such a, a crazy idea. Um, I don't really know. I, I have no idea what the going rate for a sports club is, but $4 million doesn't necessarily sound like that much money. Uh, I don't think it's actually that much money compared to what a English football club would cost. I think because it is, you know, arguably the worst Australian club at the moment it's probably one of the lowest bids so it just depends on who's going to buy it and you it's a very limited market yeah you know an, an australian soccer football club so there's probably not a lot of people out there that are looking to buy an australian football club either so it's it's going to be interesting to see what the ffa do and if anyone does end up buying the club and if someone does buy it are they going to look at moving the club to a different state as well to try and rejuvenate the fans and get more interest in it sin where young people run the show so just before we wrap up today's episode of the wednesday sports desk we of course have to discuss our odd sport of the week which this week is a particularly american sport which is pumpkin paddling. And specifically, we are looking at the West Coast Giant Pumpkin Regatta. Um, Basically, this is where people get inside a giant hollowed out pumpkin and paddle along a lake or a river. Just how do you get a pumpkin that like big enough to carve out and then fit your whole body in to then paddle across the river? Like what? I just, I can't fathom a pumpkin being like that massive and still functioning to be a pumpkin. Yeah, and I just wonder, if, how are these not sinking? I just think that a pumpkin would sink. I mean, I don't know what, what floats and what not, to be honest, but how does a pumpkin go along floating? I mean, in this picture that I'm looking at now, they look quite, they look like, sort of like, they do look like boats. So I'm just wondering, do they carve it in a certain way to make it like kayaks or canoes? I mean, what's the go with it? Like, how do you keep it afloat? How do you keep it straight as well? Surely once you get in, it's just going to like tip over. Like, is that like the whole point of it? Like you just get in and try and not fall into the water? I don't understand how this works. I mean, based on the photos, everyone looks pretty sturdy. And I guess I guess it's part of the skill of it to, um, to keep your balance. But I mean, I've never tried, but maybe pumpkins just do float. I don't know. I just, surely you would have to like grow a specific pumpkin to be like flat on the bottom so it doesn't tip over as much maybe because if you get a perfectly round one like it's just gonna roll like tip over like so easily so there must be a lot of core strength in these uh kayakers i guess to stay upright well it says that the pumpkins for the race are provided by members of the pacific giant vegetable growers club uh so they're obviously people who sort of devote all their time and energy to growing giant pumpkins for this specific cause um and i I believe it's been going for a number of years. So I think they've been perfecting it. I think it began in 2004. So they've been perfecting these pumpkins for a long time and they seem to have nailed it. And they also have pieing contest, kids costume contest, pumpkin golf and pumpkin bowling. I want to do pumpkin golf. What, what, what does that entail? Do you hit a pumpkin with a golf club or do you hit a ball into a pumpkin? I, I need to know more about this. Yeah, and like when you're playing pumpkin golf, how do you hit it? Doesn't the pumpkin just smash? I just, you know, everyone, 
exploding everywhere. What's gonna just explode everywhere once you hit it? Judging by the picture, it does look like it is a very fun event. I mean, I'm looking at the guy who's in a bee costume, and I think, yeah, it looks really good. It's like everyone's having such a good time, and I guess that's hopefully what everyone needs right now is just an event like this to make everyone just forget about what's going on. Well, in unfortunate news, the West Coast Giant Pumpkin Regatta has been postponed until October 16th, 2021 due to COVID-19. So it's going to be a bit of a wait before the next one takes place. I guess everyone needs to pop it in their calendars and you've got to get on. I I presume they're going to live stream it on Facebook somewhere. So I'm going to pop that in my calendar right now and prepare for, for the event next year. I just have to say, I am disappointed that they postponed it. Like, why keep the US Open and postpone the pumpkin race? I think it's just totally unfair. Right? I would so much rather this than the US Open at the moment. Come on. America needs to get their priorities right. I mean, like, they're letting the guy in the bee costume down. They need to keep going with this. It's another clip for us to send over to petition for the US Open to be cancelled in favour of the pumpkin (laughs) regatta. But that brings us to the end of today's episode of The Sports Desk. Um, We've been April, Tom and Kendra with you. It's been a packed show. So if you missed anything, you can listen back on Omni and you can also catch any of our other episodes there as well. Um, And remember to check us out on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. We will be back next Wednesday morning. Until then, enjoy your sport. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days.